Well, it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, I would love if you took your Bible and turned to the book of Philippians with me, the other uh, book that starts with the letter P. And uh, we're going to turn the corner here to the last chapter, and Lord willing, we will conclude our study in Philippians, uh, probably not by the end of this year, but maybe uh, shortly into January. And so we'll be looking to start a second series in um, probably mid to the end of January. And uh, many of you have given ideas. If if there's something on your heart that you're saying, oh, I always wish we would have studied this or something that's um, on your mind, if you just uh, shoot me an email this week, a couple of you have already done that with uh, good suggestions. So... Um, uh, if you would do that, as I, you know, I, you, you may laugh, but one of the one of the hardest things for me is picking what to teach. Um, you got, you have a whole Bible; it's all inspired, it's all good, it's all edifying, it's all uh, adequate to, for the man of God to be equipped for every good work. We we know that, and um, sometimes too much freedom is, you know, you go to the restaurant and there's eighty thousand things you can order, and you go, oh, you know, and, and sometimes I feel like that when it comes to preparing uh, what to teach. So. Um, appreciate your prayers and that, your suggestions, and we'll trust that the Lord will lead us to the right uh, topic or book that we need to study uh, next year. So, so let's turn the corner here, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we'll begin just by reading the section we're going to look at today. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown... So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Synetic to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay. What does this have to do with anything, right? What's going on here? And this is the fun of being a Bible, uh, just being a student of the Bible is trying to figure out what's going on here. This, this verse begins, the chapter begins with therefore. There's a, a, a transition, there's a conclusion here. Now, recall what he's just finished talking about, right? What has he just finished talking about? Remember those back in verse 19 of chapter 3, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. They've gone astray from the Lord. And uh, he's brought some appropriate warnings about our citizenship in verse 20 is in heaven. One day God will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. So so therefore, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. And, And that connects the two thoughts. Do you see that? Don't fall away. Don't get caught up in the world. Don't go after other idols, such as something as simple as your appetite as food. Don't set your mind on worldly things and thus be led astray. In fact, it's, it's remarkable how the Lord often weaves the Sunday morning worship uh, hour together. Uh, Terry's going to be talking about some of these same things today, about uh, what does it mean to continue in the faith and not fall away, and what's a true believer, and uh, so... Uh, Maybe this is just a table setting for what he's going to be talking about later on today. But he says, stand firm in the Lord. Don't don't fall away. Don't don't follow the example of those other people. And then we get Euodia and Syntyche. I don't know how you say that. I can. It's like one way in Greek and one way in English. How would you say that? Syntyche, Syntyche, Syntyche. Um, out of the blue, no introduction, we have no idea who these ladies are, live in harmony in the Lord. Now, I know this is shocking, but it appears that in the Philippian church, there were a couple of ladies that are having trouble getting along with each other. Can you imagine that? In a church of all places, people are having trouble getting along with each other? Yeah, I know, I know. Um, And one of the things that you can appreciate about the Bible is how terribly honest it is about the reality of the way things are. I mean, if you wanted to design a religion, you wouldn't put books in the Bible like, I don't know, Job or Genesis. You know, these are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you go, they commit these terrible, horrible sins, and God talks about it in the Bible. 
And I would suggest that, that the honesty of Scripture here, like it is in all places, is, is a not-so-subtle reminder that we ought to live in reality. We ought to understand that, for example, in our text here, this side of heaven, we're going to have disagreements. We're even in the church of God, the, the pillar and support of the truth, right? the body of Christ, the representation of Jesus on the earth, we're going to have trouble getting along with people sometimes. We're going to have occasional disagreements. And believe it or not, we're going to have significant conflict. And the Bible just addresses that head on. It says, look, that's the way it's going to be, and here's what you do about it. So Yodia and Syneche are called here to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, let me just save you a little bit of time. We know nothing about these ladies other than what's mentioned right here. You know, you can sort of read into it and say, well, you remember when Paul first came to Philippi and the only believers he could find were a hand uh, with a small group of ladies that were down by the river having a prayer meeting? Remember that way, way back at the beginning of the year when we studied uh, the book? So it's possible that maybe these ladies were part of that, but we really have no idea. These are two random ladies who obviously, you know, the people in Philippi who know who they are, we don't. And Paul's going to say, and I hope you notice stuff like this, he says, I urge strongly, Euodia, and I urge strongly, Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. Literally, he says, to think the same. That's what the word, the little phrase there, to live in harmony, you can translate it different ways. But literally, it means to think the same. There's some disagreement, there's some conflict that's happened that has put a wedge in the relationship between these two ladies. And Paul says twice, you almost get the idea, and one commentator mentioned this, and I think I agree with it, you know, he can't be with these ladies right now because he's under house arrest in Rome, right? So, so why does he use the verb twice? Why does it need to say, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to get along? He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. He uses the verb twice. And it's almost like, you know, if you're reading this, you get the picture, he's looking at her, Yodia, you really need to get along with this gal over here, right? And then he turns and he says to Syneke, you know, you really need to work on your relationship with Yodia, right? You almost get the idea that he's, he's making it personal for both of them. Look at verse 3. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So, so these ladies were involved in Paul's gospel ministry in some way, either at the church or in some other fashion, along with another guy named Clement. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, so there's somebody in this church that Paul identifies here as a true comrade. And he says to this person in the church, you go help these ladies work out this issue. Now, you say, well, who's the true comrade? I don't know that either. I'm obviously, Paul knew who the guy was. The guy knew who uh, he was. And Paul, um, uh, calls him out to specifically help these two ladies uh, with whatever the conflict is between the two of them. Uh, just a footnote, too. That little phrase, true comrade, it's also possible to take that as a proper noun. You know what I mean by proper noun? A name. So he may not be saying true comrade. He may be saying a person's name, a man's name. That, that, that word uh, comrade there is actually functioning as a person's name, as a proper noun. So that's another way you can take it. But whatever reason, however we take it, there's somebody in the church who Paul wants to help these ladies to get along here. Now, I know what you're thinking. What was the disagreement? What were they disagreeing on? I, I can guarantee you it had something to do with decorations in the church. Uh, no, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, we have we have no idea what the disagreement is, and, and again, you know, you, sometimes sometimes vagueness in the Bible is an opportunity to study the Scripture more thoroughly and figure it out. Right? Sometimes the Bible makes you work at it a little bit, but other times the Bible is vague because the greater purpose of God is for not for us to zero in in here and say, well, gee, these these ladies couldn't figure out, you know. Um, you know, whether the women's meeting was going to be on the Tuesday or the Wednesday or, you know, that's not the purpose. The purpose is, what do you do when you have a disagreement? And the Bible just throws this out and says, I want you to see what is supposed to happen when believers disagree. 
Okay, the, the point is not to figure out the unique disagreement here. The point is to figure out and look at what Paul says we should do about it when disagreements of any sort happen in the church. And again, I know, I know we, we could talk about this in theory because this never happens in Grace Bible Church. It does happen in Grace Bible Church. And I want you to see that what Paul is going to talk about in this verse, and by extension some other verses that we're going to look at today, is absolutely crucial to the health and functioning of the church. In fact, I'll say it like this. If we do not learn as a church how to handle disagreements with one another, we will fail in our purpose that God has given us as his church. We will. Because we'll spend the whole time fighting amongst ourselves instead of getting the gospel out. And you say, well, well, maybe that doesn't mean, you know, we don't send out missionaries or something like that, but, but what unbeliever is gonna take us seriously when we say, hey, we've got the message by which you can be reconciled to your God when we don't know how to reconcile with one another? Are we gonna have any credibility? Absolutely not. So let's, Ask and try to answer this question before us. What do we do when believers disagree? What do we do? What, do, what can we learn from that? Okay? Well, I've got a lot. I've got a very beefy, optimistic outline here. I hope we'll get through it. If not, we can finish it next week. But let's, let's hone in on this. I think this is a super crucial issue. The first thing I want you to see is that we should expect disagreements. And again, the Bible is so honest, and yet sometimes we want to pretend, don't we? Oh, we're Christians. We, we always get along. We, you know, and we kind of put on this front and, you know what? We're, we're different people. You know, some of you grew up on a farm, a, you know, a dairy farm or some farm out in West Texas or whatever. Some of you grew up back east. Um, I, I tried to teach you about body surfing a couple of Sundays ago and none of you had any clue what I was talking about, right? Um, we're different people. We have different backgrounds, different families, different life experiences. Some of you may have come from other countries or other cultures or different parts of the world. And, 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 then, and then we get together around this common bond of Jesus, and that's what draws us together, right? But those differences can still cause disagreements and even conflicts sometimes. We don't all see things the same way. We don't all have the same preferences. We don't all have the same likes and dislikes. We have different opinions, so we should expect, just underline it, okay? We should expect that we're going to have disagreements. And if we don't prepare ourselves for that, we're kind of living with our head in the sand. We need to expect that we're going to have disagreements. And again, the, the key is not that we're, we're going to avoid these, but the, the, the key is when we have them, what are we going to do about it? Okay? You're going to have a disagreement. If you're married, you're going to have a disagreement with your spouse this week. I can almost guarantee that. And if not, next week, because next week's Christmas. Right? You're, you're gonna disagree with your adult children. You're gonna disagree with, you know, some fellow worker in Awana that you work with. It's gonna happen. So what are we, what are we gonna do about it? So we should expect, number one, that there's gonna be some disagreements. The second thing I want you to see is that disagreements don't need to turn into conflicts. Now, what do I mean by that? And, and for our purposes, a disagreement is just that, when we're not seeing eye to eye about something. We have a different opinion. A conflict is when that disagreement turns into sin. Do you see the difference? A conflict is when there's sin involved. You say, well, how does that look? When I get angry, when I get loud, when I get bitter, when I get prideful that my way is the best way, okay? So a, a disagreement is just a, a, a difference of opinion. A conflict is when that disagreement turns into something where now I am sinning or the other person is sinning in some way. And I, I gave you a little teaser hint there. Most conflicts are about pride, now, don't take my word for it, because the Bible's going to tell us that here in a minute, okay? But just this is a little footnote here. Mo, almost always, and I won't say always because it's not always true, but most of the time, if a disagreement turns into conflict, pride is almost always the issue, or at least part of the issue. Because pride says, my way is right, I deserve to have my way. Okay? So, keep that in mind. So disagreements don't need to turn into conflicts. One of the things we're going to talk about is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be able to talk 
and work through disagreements in a way that honors Jesus. We should be able to do that. I am surprised. I, no, I am shocked sometimes how believers in Jesus Christ who have walked with him for years do not know how to talk about someone who has a disagreement with them in a way that is godly. I've talked to some married couples that have been married for 30, 40 years, right? Walking with Jesus lots of years. I've seen this over the years. They don't know how to talk about each other if there's a disagreement without getting ugly. We, we gotta be able to learn how to do that, right? We have to be able to learn how to talk about our, our differences without sinning, without getting angry, without pride sliding in and taking over. So we'll talk about that more in a minute. Number three, the church is the context where disagreement should be worked out. Believers are called to come alongside and help. Look back at verse three. I want you to see this, okay? Paul says there's these two ladies who are having trouble getting along with something. Verse 3 says, Indeed, true comrade, whoever this man is, I ask you to mind your own business. Is that what it says? Look, just look back at the text. I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel. Now, that will radically change your ecclesiology if you understand what he's saying. Ecclesiology, of course, is just the doctrine of the church. What do we think about what the church is and should do? Okay, here's the challenge of this verse. When we, as believers at Grace Bible Church, come to find out that there are a couple of people in our congregation that are struggling to get along, it is our business to help them. We don't say, well, that's not none of my business. Well, I'm not going to get involved in other people's laundry. And We have these little cliches. That is not a biblical church. The command here is to come alongside and help them. If you know about it, God wants you to go help them. That's the challenge here. The church is the content. If not the church, where? The law carts? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that. It's not where you go. Demean the name of the gospel in the process. No, the church is the place where God designed for us to work out our differences with one another. And it is the job of believers to come alongside and help. In some cases, the whole church, like in a formal church discipline situation, but most of the time this happens is just maybe one or two good friends. Hey, I heard, I heard you say something at that fellowship meal to Mary and Seemed like you were kind of irritated with her. Are you guys okay? Is there something wrong? There's something come between you? That should be normal conversation in our church. And again, remember Galatians, what Galatians 6 1 says, if, if you're coming alongside, be careful lest you be tempted, right? If you're coming to, to help somebody, we don't want to be tempted to gossip or be tempted. Well, see, I, I never have any disagreements, so I'm going to go. My job is to go help people with disagreements. Yeah. Now, let's not be prideful or tempted to sin, but our goal is to go and have those conversations. Um, you, you see that here? You see how that just, just lays that out? That, that's the role of the church. That's what we're called to do. The second thing I want to remind you of, you're in Philippians. Just look back at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. And that is this, that unity is one of two defining marks of a healthy church. Unity is one of two defining marks of a healthy know these verses. Look at uh, chapter 4. Uh, verse 12, uh, he, he uh, gave some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, for what, what goals? And he gives two goals here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So if you, if you pull those together, you get two main goals of a healthy, two main uh, uh, aspects of a healthy church. One is maturity in Christ, maturity. And then the other is unity. So, so let, me, let me look at it like this. When there are disagreements leading to disunity in our church, that affects the overall health 
of our church. And indeed, uh, maturity in Christ in the church and unity amongst the body are two marks of a very healthy church. So, so that, that's, unity is no small issue when it comes to thinking about what God says is important in the local church. So we ask this question, how should believers handle disagreements and conflict? How should we handle it? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's look back at Philippians and uh, let's let's do a little fun study here. L- let me tell you what I did that that led to this this particular lesson today. Do you see back go back to Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 2, that little word live in harmony. I remember I told you it means to think the same, okay? If you look up that word, you find that it is used strategically, not just in the book of Philippians, it's one of Paul's favorite words in Philippians, but it is used significantly throughout the whole New Testament to talk about this issue of disagreements and unity and conflict. So what I did is I studied the passages of Scripture where that little phrase shows up, and you know what I discovered? It basically provides a plan for how you deal with disagreements. Okay? So we're going to do a little word study here. Look at the verses where that that word uh, occurs. And that will help us to see how to handle disagreements. Number one, strive to be of one mind because of our common bond in the Lord. Strive to be of one mind because of our common bond in the Lord. Look back at chapter 4, verse 2 of Philippians. I urge Yodia and Syneche to live in harmony... There's the command, right? This is not optional. Uh, And I want you to see this. God does not make getting along with your fellow believer an optional issue. God does not make unity in the church, getting along with somebody in the church, he does not make that an optional issue. He commands, through the Apostle Paul here, he commands people to be unified. He commands them to do the work necessary to get along, to solve the disagreement, to deal with the conflict. So so if you're in a mode this morning where there's somebody here at Grace Bible Church, or I would say any believer that you happen to know of, and you know that they have some problem with you, some disagreement, and you've given up, you've written them off, and you've said, you know what, it's none of my business, I've done what I can, that's not an option. It's not an option to stop trying. Because the Bible here says to live in harmony. It's a command. And notice, as so often is the case, the motivation. Paul says, Yodia, Syneche, you guys need to get along. You need to work out whatever this disagreement is. But he provides a very sobering motivation. Live in harmony. What does it say? What does it say? In the Lord. Now, you can extrapolate the the preposition there because of our common bond in the Lord. The reason it is worth you trying to work out your disagreement with somebody is because Jesus has bonded you together in his body. That's why it's worth it. This is about Jesus. This isn't about you. And it's interesting that this is not just a common theme uh, throughout Scripture, but look back at chapter 2 in Philippians of verse 2. We've seen this before, haven't we? Didn't we see this before? Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, if any compassion, make my joy complete by what? Being of the same mind. There's the same phrase. Be of the same mind. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. So there it is. Strive to be of the one mind because of Jesus. And if you, and we don't have time to look at it, but Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Colossians 3, all of those do this, okay? All of those things do this. They connect unity with one another to the fact that we are one body, the body of Jesus. And they connect those two things together. Like, for example, Ephesians 4.25 says, you shouldn't lie to each other, but you should tell the truth. You say, well, why should we tell the truth and not lie? Because, you know, sometimes lying seems to make life easier than if we tell the truth. Well, he says in chapter 4, verse 25, because we are members of one another. What happens if you have a neurological problem in your body 
so that your body can't communicate with itself. What happens? You have a major disorder, you might die. Maybe it's a seizure. Maybe it's a, uh, a neurological issue. Uh, maybe it's some issue related to the nerve endings in your body, you know, whatever it is. But when your body's communication system breaks down, your whole body suffers, does it not? And that's, that's the argument of Ephesians 4.25. When you lie to each other, when you don't get along with each other, it affects your whole body. It, it affects the whole church. You may not think about this, but your little disagreement with somebody at Grace Bible Church is affecting the overall work and health and, and, and ministry of the church. That's the argument of Scripture. So you can look up those verses uh, on your own time. But Philippians 4.2, uh, uh, Philippians 2.2, 2, you don't need to turn there. Just listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, again, you don't need to turn there, but ju- just listen to this same admonition in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, Be comforted, be like-minded. This was a common thing for Paul. He often charged believers to be like-minded. So so how are we going to handle disagreements? The first thing is we need to resolve to be of one mind. We've got to make this an important issue. And we have to see that the motivation to do that is because we are one body, we are united together in Jesus, and he tells us it's worth it because of that. Number two, we need to guard our hearts from pride. Guard our hearts from pride. Turn back to Romans chapter 12, and let's look at this for a minute. What I want you to see is how disagreements and conflict and being of one mind are connected to the issue of pride and humility. Okay, I want to show you that. I want to prove that to you by looking at Philippians chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 together. Look at chapter 12, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. There's our word, think, uh, to be of one mind, right? Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of his, a measure of his faith. Let me, let me show you what, what the Apostle Paul just did here. He connected the issue of thinking about ourselves and unity and agreement with the fact that we are all prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. What sin does in the hard wiring of who we are is it causes us on a regular basis to esteem ourselves much higher than we really are And conversely, to view others maybe not as important as God says they are. And that's what Philippians 2, 3, and 4 is about, right? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. See, that's what he said. It's the same principle. We, we need to be careful to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So how does that, just, how does that flesh out in a disagreement? Just very practically. Well, how on earth could there be a better idea? I thought of it. Right? I mean, we don't maybe say that out loud, but that's what we're saying in here. I can't believe that person would come up with an idea like that. What were they thinking? It may be over more, more significant issues. I don't understand why that person um, continues to believe you know, that, that particular view of a Bible passage. I don't understand. I've studied this passage, and clearly it means this. Well, maybe it does, but what, what is coming out of the heart at that point? Arrogance and pride. Look down the page at chapter 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. That's the same construction, okay? Think the same. Get along. Live in harmony. It's the same construction as in our verse in Philippians 4, 2. But watch the connection now, okay? Be of the same mind, but watch what he glues it together to in the passage. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. What does that mean? Don't be prideful. 
So I would argue that what the Bible is doing here is it's saying if we're having trouble getting along, agreeing, conflict, almost certainly pride is involved. We are thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are being haughty in our mind. Verse 16 again, do not be wise in your own estimation. Can I just ask you that very, very convicting question? In a disagreement or in a conflict, are you being wise in your own estimation? I know I am. That, that's part of what gets me all caught up in a conflict. I really think I'm right. I do. I really think I'm the best judge of the situation. I'm the best determiner of the decision. I'm the best knowledge source that the information, whatever it is. So if you're in a disagreement with somebody, the first thing you need to do is to ask yourself this question. Is there pride in my heart? Am I thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think? Am I being haughty? Do I think that, that I'm the best person to determine what's going on here? And, and if so, we need, to, we need to repent of that. Because we're never going to get along. We're never going to agree. We're never going to have unity insofar as there is pride resident in our heart. That's the put off. Well, what's the put on? The put on is to intentionally cultivate humility intentionally cultivate humility. Turn back to Philippians, the verse that I just quoted, but let's look at it with our own eyes here. Philippians chapter 2. On the heels of chapter 2, verse 2, that says, Be of the same mind, intent on one purpose. The Bible says this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. It's that put-off, put-on dynamic, right? If we're going to change... We don't just try to stop doing the wrong thing. We actually have to replace the wrong thing with the right thing. So as we seek to repent of this pride and conceit and, and haughtiness of heart, we want to replace it with humility. You say, well, how do you be humble? How do you just go out and be humble? Well, the Bible tells us exactly how to do it here. This is great. Let's remind ourselves of these verses. How do you actually have a humble mind? Well, here it is. Regard one another as more important than yourself. You want to be a humble person? Think of other people as being more important than you. Think of their ideas as more important than yours. Think of their contribution as more important than yours. Think of their perspective as more important than yours. And as verse 4 says, don't look, don't just look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. See, sometimes pride manifests itself in me just saying, hey, I think my way is right. Sometimes pride manifests itself in I have my own agenda, and it's my own agenda that's driving the conflict. See? Well, how do you deal with that? Well, you make the other person's agenda more important than your agenda. And when you do that, you will grow in humility. You know how? You know how God uses those two commands to, to grow us and develop humility? Because those two things are really hard to do. They hurt. You know why they hurt? Because you have to die to yourself. You have to say, my way really isn't the best way. The world really doesn't revolve around me. I'm really not the wisest person in the world. I'm really not the best person to make this decision. And again, I, I'm not saying that there isn't you know, contribution and you may have more information than the other person. I'm not saying all that is true. What I'm saying is, in your heart, how do you think about yourself? And we have to die to ourselves. You, you have to look to Jesus to help you to develop this type of humility. And it's when we come off the throne of our own hearts and humble ourselves and die to ourselves and say, Jesus, will you please make me someone who actually looks at other people as more important than me? He loves to answer that prayer and begin to cultivate in us humility. And oh, by the way, <laughs> let's not forget the next verse. Have this attitude. What, what attitude was that? Do nothing from selfishness, empty conceit, humility in my regard, one another is more important than yourself. Do not look out for your own personal interests, also the interests of others. That attitude, have that attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. 
He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And what did he do? He humbled himself and became a baby. He became a man. He became a slave. He became poor. He became one who would experience all the realm of suffering and affliction and temptation and sorrow and grief. He knows what it means to say, I'm going to consider humanity as more important than myself. Because Jesus could have came to this earth, stood up and said, excuse me, I am the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you better submit, or I will judge you and then you will die in your sins. And he would have had every right to do that. But you know what? That's not what he did. He humbled himself. That's what this season is all about. He considered people as more important than that lofty position that he held at the Father's right hand. He said, I'm willing to go through that and to experience something that God experientially had never experienced. All so that he could be our substitute. So Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. And in fact, if you understand even a a, a speck of what the gospel is about... If you under, understand even, even a small slice of what Christmas is all about, what Jesus did for you and me, this will resonate with you. And you will say, yes, of course, that's what it means to follow him. And yes, believe it or not, the incarnation, the hypostatic union, the kenosis, the incarnation, Advent, Christmas, the gospel, the cross, has something significant to do in how you get along with one another. The gospel is intrinsically related to the unity and disagreements and conflict that we experience and what we do about it. Do you, if you forget everything else, you got to understand that. Number four, purge our minds of worldly thinking. We need to, if we're going to handle a disagreement, we need to purge our minds of worldly thinking. If you're in Philippians, just turn the page to chapter 3 and look at verse 19 again. Look at verse 19. We just read this verse, talking about the people who are now enemies of the cross of Christ. They went astray from the Philippian church. Now, verse 19 says, their end is destruction, their God is their appetite, their glory is their shame. And what did they do? They set their mind on worldly things. Now, this is interesting. If we, we looked at Philippians 3.19, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans 8.5, the, the one in the flesh sets his mind on the things of the flesh, but the one of the Spirit sets his mind to the things of the Spirit. And you know Philippians, or Romans 12.1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's that same word there, okay? So, so let me show you what the Bible did in all those verses. We just kind of have to wave our hands at them right now. Here's what the Bible did. It connects unity and conflict and getting along with what we set our minds on. I'll say that again. The Bible connects getting along with other people, dealing with conflict, dealing with uh, disagreements. It connects that with what we're setting our minds on. Or let me say it more simply. Usually in a disagreement or conflict, you are setting your mind on the wrong things. You're setting your mind on something that is worldly, that is fleshly, that is not a gospel issue. And we see this all the time, don't we? Because we get all bent out of shape over preference issues. I mean, we really do. I mean, think about the last significant disagreement or conflict you had in your family or you had in the church here where it was really a gospel. This is about Jesus and making him known. It was really about that. Most of the time it isn't, right? It's about silly, goofy. You say, well, why do I feel so strongly about a non-gospel issue? And you ever ask that question? Why do I feel so strongly about everything? And yet when it comes to what the Bible says, a black and white righteousness or sin issue, a gospel issue, I might feel strongly about that, but that's usually not why I'm upset. 
I'm upset because of all these other things that I feel very strongly about. And when I don't get my way, I don't like it. Right? See, the Bible connects disagreements and comment with what we're setting our minds on. Part of the problem is we're setting our mind on the wrong things. We're setting our minds on the things below, on earth, instead of things in heaven. We're storing up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. We're setting our minds on the things of the flesh, things of the spirit. We're setting our mind on the world and all its stuff, as 19 says, earthly things, and we forget that we're not here for earthly things because the next verse says our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that convicting? I get more upset over a strong opinion I have about a worldly thing than about the gospel and Jesus. What I should be upset about is that the cults in third world countries have significant influence amongst the pagans. That's what I should be upset about. I should be upset that we've got a whole county here of people that think they're Christians, many of whom are not. And what are we doing about that? That's what That should motivate us. That should be something that gets us motivated to do something. And instead it's like, oh, well, I don't like the way he did that. I don't the way he, that decision he made. I don't like this. I don't like that. You see, it, we're setting our minds on the wrong things. And what's the put on? That's the put off, right? We need to purge our minds of worldly things. That's the put off. What's the put on? Well, we already know it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, Keith, how, how do I purge my mind of worldly things? How do I not feel so strongly about all this other stuff that doesn't matter? How do I feel the most strongly about gospel-centered, Bible-saturated, biblical things? How do I do that? How's your Bible reading coming? You say, is, is this, is this the, Message where Keith reminds you to be reading your Bibles. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because, you see, when we spend our whole week on the world, guess what we're going to set our minds on? When we set our whole week on the things of God, guess what we set our minds on? So this is, is this about having a consistent quiet time? Yes, it is. It's about what you listen to on the radio during the week. It's about what you read. It's about what you talk about with your friends. And yes, you understand, we have to engage the world because we have to, you know, put food on the table and we have to, you know, pay our electric bill. There's all sorts of worldly things that, you know, of necessity we have to be involved in. And that, that's not what Paul's talking about here. What he's saying is, what are you spending your time and attention really doing? Where's your focus? And if it's not on God and His Word, through music, through reading, through prayer, through devotion, through service, through conversation, through all those things, your heart is going to gravitate toward that world out there, and you're probably going to get upset about some things that you shouldn't be upset about. So we need to be cultivating our minds, uh, renewing our minds in the Word. Can we just get really, really practical for a minute and... I'm going to try to land the plane here in the next five minutes because Matthew 7 says we need to get the log out of our own eye, which means in any disagreement, any conflict, the first thing we have to do is deal with the sin in my own heart. You know what's funny? Um, I regularly, as a pastor, am engaged in helping people who are not getting along and disagreements and conflict to get along. And I've discovered this. If they will buy into Matthew 7 and really believe that they need to take the log out of their own eye first, they will almost inevitably succeed in the resolution of the conflict. If they do not ever get to that point, and they're always telling me how bad the other person is and how crazy the other person is and how all the sins the other person's doing, and if they're always spec fishing the other person, they will not resolve their conflict. So I don't want to overstate that, but but in my experience, Matthew 7 is huge. We've got to take the log out of our own eye. We've got to deal with our own sinful response first, which means before you talk about what color you paint the wall, you confess your sin and bitterness and pride to that other person. 
Okay, That's number one in getting practical. Number two, we need to guard our hearts from temptation. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me just tell you, what are some temptations when believers disagree? Can I just tell you a few temptations? Here's temptation number one, gossip. When you're disagreeing with somebody, you have a temptation to tell other people about it. And the Bible specifically forbids gossip, slander, talking to other people about the problem that you're having in a disagreement. And you understand, there's a time to go get wise counsel. That's not gossip, right? There's a time for Titus 2, an older godly person, to give you advice and wisdom for what to do. That's very different than gossip. But when we're in a disagreement, there's a huge temptation to gossip. Number two, there's a temptation to anger and bitterness. That's what happens if you don't deal with it. See, if you don't deal with the disagreement in a godly way, you will develop anger. And if you let that anger fester, you will become a bitter, resentful person. So we need to avoid the temptation to be bitter and angry. The third thing we need to do is avoid the temptation to avoid and be distant with one another. Because, see, that's what sometimes we do. We think, well, well, uh, me and this other person in the church, we, we used to be pretty good friends. Um, and now my solution is I sit on this side of the church and he sits on that side of the church. Or they say, um, you know, we used to work in Awana together, but now we're not going to work in Awana together. Or they say, um, you know, uh, I used to be a part of their, um, you know, prayer group, or, you know, I, I used to, you know, hang out with them more often. I'm just not going to hang out with them as often. And that's what we do. That is a form of disunity. That's not acceptable. Insofar as it depends on us, God wants us to work that out. So we have to learn to preserve relationships even though differences exist. We must learn to preserve relationships even though differences exist. We need to commit uh, next to personal reconciliation. That just means that I'm willing to confess my sin and seek and grant forgiveness with the other person. And what does that require? Humility. That's another thing that requires humility, doesn't it? If I have to go to somebody and confess my sin to them and say, hey, you know, I know we, did, we weren't seeing eye to eye on that issue in Awana or that issue after the meal that day, but you know what? First and foremost, I need to confess my anger to you because I got angry when you didn't see it my way and seek and grant forgiveness. I talked about this earlier, but we need to learn to talk about differences in ways that honor God. We need to learn as a church the skill of talking with one another about things that we disagree on in a way that honors Jesus. We should be able to sit down and talk about anything in a way where we can both walk away with our arm around the other person saying, I know we still haven't resolved this, but I love you. I know we haven't come to an agreement yet, but you're my brother, you're my sister, and this is cool. Okay, I love you, we're going to work this out. We need to develop the skill of doing that. And then finally, we need to discern the type of disagreement. Actually, this isn't finally, is it? Um, Let's just finish this. You understand, every disagreement isn't the same, right? Every disagreement is not the same. There There are disagreements over clear biblical sin versus righteousness issues, aren't there? Do you believe in the incarnation of Jesus or not? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do, do you believe that Jesus was really God? I mean, those, those are important issues, okay? That's a very different disagreement than an issue of preference. How big do we make the sign on 377? Right? That's a real issue that our churches had to think about, right? What curriculum do we use in Awana? Um... How do we handle this parenting situation? Parenting, I would put under the issue of wisdom, a gray area. That's an area where God gives principles, but he doesn't spell it out. And if you're a parent, there are thousands of gray areas you have to deal with, whether you're parenting a little guy like me or an adult child, right? Adult children, relationship with adult children. The Bible has some things to say about that, but there's wisdom and there may be some areas of disagreement. Do you homeschool your kids or public school or private school? Do you What do you do? Those are all wisdom issues and we ought to think differently about those because if the Bible doesn't make it a particular sin righteousness issue, I may have an opinion, I may have a preference, but I can't get angry at the other person if they pick something different than me. Because the Bible gives us freedom there. The Bible gives us wisdom and fences where we might come to a different disagreement, even though we both want to honor Jesus and apply biblical principles. 
And then find, uh, I keep saying finally, pray for help, then work together toward unity of mind. That's, that's, that's come back to Philippians. The, the command is live in harmony, be of the same mind. You figure out what am I doing? Is it a preference issue? Then the Bible says I prefer the other person. Is it a wisdom issue? We can talk about it, but good Christians may disagree, and that's okay. If it's a black and white, clear biblical issue, then we gotta really get down to it. If it's heresy or something that's unorthodox. But we pray for God's help, and then we work together toward unity of mind. We work together to solve the problem. And if we still can't get it, guess what? That's why the church is there. Remember? The church is the place where we're supposed to work these things out. And the Bible says, in the abundance of counselors, plans succeed. First Corinthians 6 says, if you even have a potential legal matter where you would normally, you know, take somebody to court, the Bible says, don't you dare do that if you're a Christian. How do you demean the gospel in one easy step? Sue another Christian. That's how you do it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, take it before the elders. Take it before wise brothers in your church. And, and work it out so that the gospel is not demeaned. All right? This is a gospel issue. We need to work on disagreements, work on conflicts in ways that honors Jesus because it affects our testimony, it affects our unity. And, and Jesus, remember, remember, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about, is humbling ourselves to consider one another as more important. All right, we're way out of time. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this time and your word. And um, Lord, I know this, this is a real issue for all of us. Would you give us the grace to take to heart the admonition of what Paul has told us through the inspired text today uh, and, and heed uh, the advice and counsel and principles and commands that you've given us today. Father, I know... I know right now there are people that are not getting along, they're in disagreement or conflict with other believers in our church or in family. Father, will you give us the grace to humble ourselves, uh, to give us wisdom as we pray, and then help us to work out those disagreements uh, because of our common bond in Jesus. We pray for his glory, for the unity of his church, for the preservation and effectiveness of the gospel, and that his name might be lifted up in our church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.